Welcome. My name is Eddie Arrieta. This is Fulfilling Work Life. We intend to talk to leaders, professionals, remoters, human beings from all around the world who share with us their knowledge. Join me in this daily journey here too. And like that, we're officially live. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us today, uh, David. And thank you everyone who is uh, joining us as, as you come in on, on Zoom. I do know that there were some issues with the login um, initially. So I, I just made sure that uh, the logins were all right. Uh, for some reason, every month we have to renew these uh, recurrent webinars. So every, every, every month we have to renew all of the uh, different uh, schedules. Um, so I had to do that. And uh, hopefully we'll be able to get everyone on board today. Um, as you all know, uh, this is uh, Fulfilling Work Life. We do this every day, 9 a.m. Uh, Eastern. Uh, well, 9 a.m. Central, sorry. 9 a.m. Central. Um, we also do it at night, uh, Trabajando el Futuro in Espanol. So if you guys also want to join uh, us tonight, we're going to be doing it at 7 p.m. Central as well. So thank you so much, David, for joining us today. Uh, and I'm just going to go ahead and do my, I always do a, a reading exercise. So my reading exercise is going to be uh, your bio. So let me know if I make any mistakes. Uh, hopefully, hopefully we got all the information right. Sounds good. Maybe it'll make it sound better than it is. <laughs> that is awesome. David Holman is the vice president of Luneclipse Media, a company focused on the intersection of commercial media and the imp and impact philanthropy. Philanthropy, sorry, my English, as well as the Nexus NYC ambassador and CEO of Orchestrated Connecting LLC. David is a composer, pianist, and impact-focused activist focusing on the relationship at the intersection of wealth community, and philanthropy. Through his platform, Orchestrated Connecting, he writes, lectures, and hosts a, po a podcast focused on relational value alongside maintaining a community of influencers whose platforms span major conferences, communities, and sectors with a focus on diversity, inclusion, and action. As a composer, he has eight CDs, and his music is played on the radio worldwide as well as part of shows in Discovery Channel, etc. So, David, thank you so much for joining us today. It's my pleasure. I really appreciate you having me. And, and this is so awesome because, and, and, and as I mentioned earlier, like we do this show in English and Spanish. And what's really amazing is we've had the opportunity of talking to professionals from like, all different backgrounds. Like, it's amazing. We've had uh, like digital nomads who work on teaching people how to be digital nomads. We've had uh, uh, medical doctors, we've had surgeons, we've had uh, AI professionals. And for the first time, we have a musician. Well, like, I'm, like, I'm honored. You also just mentioned all professions that are smarter than me. No. <laughs> oh, oh, no. And this, this was going to be my segue to that, which is, and, and reading your profile, uh, it really reminds me of one of the, our invitees. Her name is, is Minche uh, from Mexico. She is a, a wonderful, of course, professional, but she is a carpenter and she does carpentry. She does artificial intelligence. She does. And, and it reminded me a lot because on, with the conversation with her, what we were talking about was polymaths. 
and how you can start looking into all these different areas where then you bring them together into like your common denominator. And as I'm reading your biography, all I can think about is that is you, yes, you are a musician, but come on, you are working on philanthropy. You're working on uh, several other things. And I wanted to understand a little bit about, about that, like how that played out for you. And sure. let me, t- let me tell you something. Uh, I just, just so that you, my wife is a saxophone player, a professional saxophone player. And I like to say that I'm, I, I like music. I play the guitar and I sing, uh, but I, I have a deep respect for music. I think that there, there must be a different wiring for those that do it properly. <laughs> like you guys think, the musicians think it's, it's, it's like, no, it's practice. But it's like you need something. I think there is a gene for musicians that the rest of us don't have. But thank you so much, David, for coming today. And, and take the conversation whatever you want. Of by course, the way. of course. Well, so my uh, grandfather, my father's side, was a jazz saxophonist by night, and he was an electrician by day. So then my father actually became a Shakespearean scholar and theater director. So I grew up in the arts. <laughs> um, I grew up actually acting, directing, playing classical and jazz piano, and then composing. And um, what I learned through my life is when somebody thinks you're good at something that they're not as good at, they'll push you towards that so they have more room for where they can shine. And so I was a great stage manager, a good director, and everyone said, you should compose, you should compose. Because face it, how many people have ever met a living composer? You know, like your wife might have played the music of some jazz composers, but how many can you name? Um, But it was interesting, and you mentioned uh, carpentry, And then, you know, so I see the world in terms of actually a bias I have against where people study music too much. I think in any field where you study it to the point where you think you're more superior than somebody else in your knowledge, you lose the whole point of it. So I'm a composer who has a master's degree, not a doctorate. I didn't want to teach, I wanted to be active. So I've written almost 200 works. They've all been performed and most have been recorded. So I don't have a treasure trove of things I wish people had heard. But every time I'd go to a concert, people would talk to me about music, they'd talk to me about my music. They would endlessly tell me, like you just did, Eddie, that they, you know, they do a little bit, but they don't, they have a deep appreciation, but their knowledge couldn't be as much as mine. And I've met people whose knowledge is greater than mine and you'd never want to hear their music or hear them play. And so I, um, you know, being somebody who living as an artist in New York knew I could not make a living doing that. um, I started to understand really quickly that I had a special skill that wasn't just music. It was a way to understand how people can take something immense, be overwhelmed, and then dissect it back into something that's simple. So just bear with me to complete this analogy with the carpentry, right? So if you talk about building a mansion, It all starts with carpentry and design. And so people think architects are the most important, but you know really quickly on that something only works if somebody can build it right. So I meet people all the time in every profession who feel like they're inferior, often because somebody else is louder, taller. In many cases in the way the world is acting now, they're just louder, taller, and whiter. And that somehow makes them seemingly more important than somebody else who just looks different and sounds different. So I used to dissect and ask people, you know, because I've written a few symphonic works and they think that's incredible. 
And it's literally as simple as a melody and some chords and you learn where to throw it on some instruments and hope it sounds great. But people would get so stuck on what was a symphony that they couldn't actually understand it went down to core roots, which is you have to know your internal melody, what drives you and what moves you. And you have to know the parts around you that help you make that melody be heard. That simple. And, and that's super interesting. Thank you so much for sharing that perspective. Uh, one of the things that, that we've talked about the, within this show and that we've seen um, is that idea that when you, know, you see the dynamics of children playing, you realize that it's not usually the most, the, 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 the most humble or the most empathetic or, or the one that has the best ideas. It's usually when you see children playing, the loudest <laughs> and the biggest and the one that speaks the most is probably is the one that wins and 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 the rest of the children and, and we remember this from our childhood like if you were in a group and there was a slightly bigger boy and he was louder and confident that was it like there's there is no way you could lead that okay given time potentially maybe but but that that dynamic is very interesting i am and i I fail to remember the name of the book. Well, I have my Kindle right here, so I could, I could potentially just find it. Um, but I am reading a book. It's called Structures or Why Things Don't Fall Apart. And it mm -hmm. talks about uh, physical structures as well as, as biological structures and business structures and technological structures. And, and it's very interesting because it talks about coming down again to like the constituent component components of everything we do and it's very interesting how you how you were mentioning like people and 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 the understanding that they might have of their constituent components uh, well, well how would you say you would approach um, you know a conversation with someone and and I don't know if I'm putting you on the spot I'm discovering this conversation as we go along uh, but but how, how would you go about understanding someone's constituent components because I think that's super difficult for absolutely so one no need to apologize for putting me on a, the spot you invited me on your show so that be should be what you're doing uh, two I so I think Everyone has core values and some people, and this isn't just for extroverts, uh, some people are much easier at being open enough to find commonalities with others. But many who approach a conversation for what they can get out of it, and the minute you approach a conversation for what I can get out of it, you lose the point of the conversation, which is to connect, to find empathy, to find compassion, to find the commonality. And we lose that because we talk too much and we don't listen. So when I approach a conversation, it's as simple as going fishing, trying to share a few things that bring something out in the other person that allows me to better share with them. So apropos you're just mentioning about the bully. So I will easily be called by my friends, David or Dave, but I will never be called Davey by anybody but my wife who knows I hate it because Davey was the bully in pre-K who was bigger and louder. And I was the type who could take a lot, but then he hurt one of my friends. And according to my mother, she gets a call. I've been sent into the back room to be quote punished. And I had pushed this kid over defending one of my friends, this girl who was being picked on. And the kid got a bloody nose from it. And they had to call me. They pretended to discipline me. And then they said, great job. Because everyone knows that if you learn to stick up for other people earlier on, you're actually doing what real connection is. Because we only have value by how we're valued by each other. 
So we have value by value we have for one another. It, it of course seems a lot like uh, the conversations that we've also had. And 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 I am I'm, I'm bringing this up because I, I want to make sure that those of you that are listening to this later remember that there is there is a common denominator in the conversations, and networks have something that we have talked a lot about in, in, in this show. And we've talked about the value of networks. In fact, we have talked that even, even if you have no money as a, as a business and you're struggling to stay afloat, one of the things that could really drive you forward is the ability to have had connections with your customers and connections with the people that you are working with. And, and I think when, when and, and I love, by the way, uh, uh, I love the name uh, of, of uh, orchestrated connecting uh, because it, it seems, and, and we've talked a lot here about also how certain roles are about that, like orchestrating how you connect to one another in a business. And, and that could be, and let's say business organization, community, whatever it is. Um, and why don't you tell us a little bit about, about orchestrated connecting? Uh, what, is it, what is it about? So orchestrated connecting came out of a major mistake and failure that I had years ago. And I, as much as I would want to believe that things happen because you know how to do things right, most things happen because you fail at something. And if you're not failing, then you're not really trying. So in this case, I was somebody who had an incredibly wide and diverse network. Diverse in every way. Um, I was somebody who would introduce people to each other that sat on the same boards, came from the same neighborhoods, but didn't know my value to them. And the mistake was in not realizing I needed to share that with others. And so I happened to be what other people would call a connector, super connector, somebody who has strong relationships, valid, authentic relationships with thousands of people across geographies, industries, ages. And what I generally like to do is when I learn about something, when I go fishing, as I alluded to before, and I make introductions for people, I try to make efficient, effective introductions to help accelerate what somebody needs. And in some cases, the skill in the conversation, Eddie, as you mentioned before, is in pulling out what somebody doesn't think they need yet, but you can read between the lines and understand that they need. And then what I generally do is orchestrate those connections. And so the community came about because I happened to be going to all other people who were called in their communities, connectors as well. This includes community leaders, VCs, CEOs, but the point was relational value and relational value isn't something that you can buy. It's not something that you can do anything but trade. And so I found the people who were often overlooked, who were the catalysts for introductions, for communications, for collaborations, for major businesses starting, and all of them had been marginalized. They had been underlooked and underappreciated. And my goal, one of my life goals, was to make relational value valued. To make the people who can build authentic relationships sought after, not for completing a sale or placing somebody on a speaking gig or whatever it might be, but simply being valued for their way to bring the best out in people and put them together. And that's what Orchestrated Connecting came from. Uh, and it's now a four-year-old community of over 600 active individuals who, the joke is, um, somebody said to me at one of the events, you know, well, you can't know anyone. You can't know everyone. 
So I said, all right, a show of hands in this room, how many of you have access to the Pope or the Dalai Lama? And five hands were raised. And I said, Paul McCartney, no one yet. Um, but that Holy Trinity, like at least you could get to two of the three of the most influential living human beings on the planet. <laughs> that is that that is really great, and and that's a community of six hundred people from around the globe. Correct. That it's primarily people that come in and through New York, just by the nature of needing to do events until recently, where physical presence was necessary, and we're struggling like most groups to turn the world entirely digital. And I don't think we'll be back in our event series or anything, or you know, concerts or. Um, any type of mass congregation anytime soon. So I think those with, with relational value might soon be sought after even more because they've already built these relationships. And, and that's and it's very, very interesting. That, that was my third question that I have written down now, but I, I'm going to go right into it because I, I think we've, we've, we've all, always pondered about this idea of can you build deep, genuine relationships Uh, without the physical interaction. And yesterday I was talking to a friend and he said, you know, I, I, mi I miss us having coffee. So like, I, I just miss that. I just miss just being able to be there and like just feel the aura, right? Like the, the physical, like you don't even see my below my torso, like, like, like my torso is already. So um, what do you think are the differences when building those relationships today when, when most is like this, whatever size, uh, a square digital square uh, versus what, what, what we had before? I think a few things. One, and I don't want to use the phrases that I hate, which is this is the new normal or things are needed more than ever. Because I think the only thing needed more than ever on the planet is Lysol and a cure for COVID. Um, and nothing's needed more than ever than an understanding that we will get through this. But that being said, um, there are people that are going to thrive in a digital world of people who are not the same way some people um, like me and others could walk into a room and own the room or choose not to. And I don't think we have a choice now, but I've been able to form some really amazing deep relationships with people over the last several months that I've never met in person. But what it took for every one of them was a valid warm intro from somebody else, not just because I needed to connect to them, but why giving me enough of a prompt along with them to dig more deeply and go beyond scratching the surface of what could be for some people an awkward Zoom or blue jeans or Microsoft or Skype or FaceTime or WhatsApp call. And I think that um, in the end, um, this is another one of my jokes I often make, there's going to be a big difference in terms of how we view relationships and which ones we move or keep physical compared to others. So Eddie, let's say that like this interview, this talk where I'm, of course, mostly talking as you prompt me, didn't go as well. And then I happened to be in your hometown. I was like, hey, thank you for that interview that we did on this Monday. Want to catch up? And you go, how about a 20-minute Zoom call? Then I'll know my value because I'll know that I didn't warrant meeting him for coffee. So I think there'll be some new societal differences, but I think we'll want to congregate and use video to be more efficient to then decide when being physically present needs to deepen the relationship more. That's super, super interesting because you are right. Like one of the things that I've noticed that you're going to like either ghost me or just get <laughs> a year that, from now. That, that the physicality of it seems to 
have like you need to make an effort right it's very different if i say join join my show than if i say hey we're gonna record my show in this location in new york would you come that's 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 very different even yeah. though it might seem like the same it is not that there's more there is effort there is and a meeting in person has 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 that 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 part is very strong so earlier this week we were talking to 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 the team uh, and we were saying no because we're a fully remote team and then we meet a couple of year a couple of times a year physically and one of the things that i was mentioning is like we can't we can't say that it's the same we can't say that is 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 like it doesn't matter like it it does matter now the fact that we're deciding to do all of this might mean that we have to reconsider the value that we are giving to the physical uh, interaction and I love the fact that I can just walk outside and my son is there and my wife is there and I can hug them and then I, that's very valuable to me, more yeah. valuable than having an in-person meeting with someone I just met. Right? See, my my six-year-old was telling me how this is the worst summer ever, and I was like, "Why? You get to see me every morning. I get to put you to bed every night. I'm not out at events. I'm not traveling. I get to cook a lot more." And she goes. Yeah, but we don't get to see grandmom and granddad, meaning my parents. We're staying with my wife's parents. And like, it, it did break my heart because she really values that as a summer experience. But there's so much more time. You know, my, my worry only is during this uh, interview where my kids are fortunately quiet, they're either going to come banging on the door like a monster, or I will have to rotate my screen so everyone Facebook Live can see the window where my daughter has put one of my son's yellow bulldozers outside and she stands on top of it and knocks until she says hello to the person on the video call with me, not me. Uh, that works. I usually get a, a bunch of kids storming in with an iPad saying like, is this game the right game? And I'm like in the middle of an interview. I was like, I cannot assess that right now. We'll, we'll download it later. Uh, but, but, but in terms of Zoom etiquette, sorry to interrupt, a, a good friend of mine, he's yeah. like, he started to judge people, not on whether like they wear like, a suit and tie to a Zoom call anymore, but how they treat their children or their family when they're getting interrupted during what would have been otherwise an a alternate space for them to work or for you to record it. So you having like patience and, and like saying like, don't do this one, do that one, shows a greater character than people who just go, get away, I'm on a call. Yeah, that like that that would never that would never be I, actually that one of the most fa that she's very famous too. That's Lupita. That I call her my alarm because every time someone like tries to walk in, she starts barking, and and that that really that really that really you're completely right. Like that really measures uh, your ability to to kind of like understand like what's really important to you and what's the most important to you. Um, I, I want I wanted to 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 dive in a little bit into uh, the. the I think you mentioned fishing earlier. I think not. I'm certain you mentioned fishing earlier. Um, and I've always wanted to, like, I have this, this, this fantasy that once COVID is over, like me and my children, we're going to go camping and we're going to be in this quiet space and my, maybe we'll go fishing. But keep in mind, I'm in Colombia and fishing in Colombia is it's not popular. <laughs> like there is no professional, there are fishers of fishermen, but not, it's not like as common as in the United States. So what, what is it about fishing that, 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 that has gotten you? Or what is it about fishing that, 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 that brings you to call it? So I'm not a fisherman. I grew up fishing a little bit in the lake we had in my backyard in Florida. But um, for me, fishing is throwing out something and not knowing what your catch. 
And in many cases, like the analogy is that you have to throw something out enough times to give an opportunity, in, at least in terms of conversations, uh, for somebody to give something back. And so that, that for me is, is the most important thing is if you wanna connect with somebody, don't wait for them to give you the opportunity to talk about yourself. Give them the opportunity to see if they'll share. And if they don't, share something about yourself in hopes that they will. And that, that's a lot of how I live my life and my value system because most people assume that things don't go well because they didn't get to say enough. They assume that things don't go well if they don't get something out of it. I assume something goes well when I'm able to give something to somebody else, when I'm able to elevate them. And when, I, when I'm able to put them in a situation where what their drives and passions are can be better seen, especially if my read on them, whether it's a Zoom call or a coffee meeting, is that there's somebody who has integrity and value and wants to share that more. That's, that's uh, very, I think, I think it's, it's very interesting. And I, I, called, I called this out in the, in the interview so that everyone kind of like understands uh, like what happens. And I usually, I'm generally speaking, really good at reading the situations, right? Really good at reading the rooms. And there is a particular, uh, like, it's not a figure of a speech. I think it's part of your style as well, that you do really well where, where you give so you give enough space for the other side to ponder, to think, to analyze, to digest. That is just the right amount to make the person really think. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not just like, something out right away because they had already thought about that now like you know we're we're both people with families but i always like to use the analogy of dating because most people get this right you go on a first date well obviously we'll think years ago now for us and you think it goes really well and the person never calls you back i guarantee you unless you like did something wildly inappropriate that a lot of times it's because you talked mostly about yourself and felt really great at the end of it period. Like, <laughs> you might decide that you're not going to continue, but when you're building relationships in business, in philanthropy, and friendships, the most important thing is to understand what that other person values and then to be able to help them because that lasts longer than anything that you could ever do or buy for somebody. And that's powerful. You mentioned earlier about, about value, right? And, and you've mentioned it again, and you talked about your value system. Is, is, is there a way for you to break that down for us? In, of in terms course. Of like, what I, is so it that you I, value? I've created what I believe is a system around connectivity. It's what I do in my life. It's not my, my day job. My day job is um, building out a really incredible new media company called Ludaclips Luna Clips Media. But orchestrated connecting comes from it. But, but I'll actually give you the, the example of my own podcast, which I launched recently, as everyone else at home with the ability to record has done, unlike you who's been doing it much longer. Um, so Orchestrated Relationships is a 20-minute study in how to have a conversation. It's technically to feature all of my friends that are part of my value system. So there's a code for my community, which is to be invited into my community of connectors. Besides being somebody very connected, you have to be described by others as action-oriented, as a natural giver, and either somebody that I or somebody else in the community would leave my children with. And you have to be all three. 
Now you can be my friend if you're not somebody that I leave my children with. I have many of those. But if you're somebody I'm gonna put my time and energy and my relationships into, I wanna make sure you're not thinking about doing something. I wanna make sure you're already doing it. I wanna make sure that you're not expecting um, anything beyond giving and giving out of somebody having generosity because the worst thing happens when somebody does a favor for you then they want something in return um that you? Itself, <laughs> yeah and here we go hey little one hola looks good it's a fishing game yeah it's good it, it's a line serendipity see and you are um <laughs> starting on starting digital to then turn everything to be physical. Yes. You'll go fishing, then I'll tell you, you'll probably be really, really bored. But at the same time, that's the point, is to clear your mind. Um, but, so, but the other thing about the value system, right? Like, we're living in a world that has awakened again to social justice, which has only come up every couple months or years for the, since the dawn of mankind, essentially. On my, uh, of the seven people I interviewed for my podcast, Four out of seven are women, and six out of seven are non-white men. So this was done in February. I interviewed seven incredible friends, but my value system is you build a world that should look like 2040 now. You champion people because of their values and who they are to you, and then people can look at their skin color or their gender. And that action is what really makes change. And talk, not just talk is cheap, talk is important, but talk is important if it leads to communication, listening and action. So for my conversations, my goal was to elevate seven incredible human beings. And it was purposeful and intentional that they were not seven white guys. Now I couldn't do it bilingual like you because my best friend in high school wanted to, me to study French. So I grew up in Florida and studied French instead of Spanish, that was, that was a big mistake. Um, my brother, fortunately, is fluent in Spanish. And when my kids get older, um, the trip we will take where my wife won't go, but my brother will is to the Galapagos Islands, uh, which has been my dream trip. Hopefully I won't get too old before that happens or we'll be able to travel. But the value system for me was something that you needed to spell out so people understood very clearly where you stood. I think I think that's, that's very powerful. One of the things that is also a common denominator in this show when we talk to, to great professionals is that they are very clear on that value system. They can, in every, every situation where I've asked that question, nobody has ever said from those, and, and of course, we're very intentional as well in the people that we bring to the show, but nobody has ever said like, oh, I, I actually don't know. I cannot tell you what that is. I think most, most have, are, are very clear on that. And that's a very important cue for those of you that are listening to this. Uh, something that also got my attention, not only about the space that you give when you are, when you are talking, uh, that I think, I think is a very, very, very powerful tool. I, I probably will start using that myself, which is you, you, I, you need to give more space. And especially when you are so talkative like me, uh, you might not give enough space to the other ones. Or when you're too quiet, perhaps you're not given the right space space uh, and the right cues for the other person to, to, to really ponder about things. But one of the things that I noticed added to that tool is that it seems like your rhythm and your cadence is, is a bit different to what I've seen normally. Most people would quote, um, the world I want to see by 2030 
or the world that I want to see in the next 100 years. It is the first time I hear 2040. <laughs> uh, why 2040? Why are you thinking 2040? Why, why, why is that the time, the time frame that you use? 2040 is simply math. Um, I believe that, unfortunately, most societal change happens when the oldest generation passes from this earth each time because it is very hard to face enormous change throughout your entire life and accept that something that was a norm, even if it wasn't part of your value system, when you were a child or in your um, prime years, was actually something wrong when you're older. Trans rights, gay rights, um, the idea that there's a superior race or a superior intellect or anything, is something that has been along with struggles for power most of our history. And now we live in a world that's interconnected where those, it's almost a norm to think of genocide. It's a norm to think of racism as institutionalized. It's been institutionalized for as long as there has been power and people without power. And the difference now is that there's actually a potential finally for the world to come together to make some positive change because we've experienced COVID-19 collectively and it has torn apart people's narratives that we're all experiencing this the same or that they thought before this we actually all were the same because you can't have both you can't have more people dying in certain populations than others and say things are equal or fair you can have people who are able to work remote and then look at the rest of the world who cannot or don't even have it. And that's why like, I think you always have to be conscious when you're talking with somebody, everybody's experience is different, but we've been put into bubbles. And most people in this world have food and water insecurity. Add that to what somebody's bubble is now. And I think it really shakes up the fabric of us thinking that the world was fine. But at the same time, when you look at the math, regardless of what happens, especially in my math is for the United States, things just change by 2040 in terms of what the electorate looks like. And the minute that you take all other colors but white Caucasian and you add them up, I become a minority which I technically am in the world, both as a Jew, but also as a minority, when you add the whole world together. So what do I think you should, one, one should do if you're in that situation of privilege? Act like an ally now, because you better. Not only for changing the norms and being able to do something that can inspire your kids to do even better than you, but because the reality is, we need a world where people who are leaders act with compassion and empathy, and we need a world where people understand that their privilege means somebody else doesn't have something. And the only way you change that is through action and through listening. That's, that's very powerful. And I think for those of you that have listened to the previous shows in, in the last few weeks, you've also heard those, those exact words uh, being said in that same way around privilege. Uh, and, and privilege is a very, very, very important thing to consider. Uh, I think a few of us um, now are much more aware of the role that we could play. Just the fact that I can do this 
allows me to choose, to decide what sort of voices do I want to even repurpose. I mean, we record this and I will choose which extract of this I want to put out on LinkedIn or I want to put, and, and that is also power, that is also privilege. Uh, and I want to dip a little, I want to, I want to dig a little bit deep into that. Um, but from, 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 from a perspective, um, the context is, I always ask everyone that comes to the show, um, when you had no experience and you were not doing any of this, right? Like you, you, I mean, 20 years ago, maybe, I don't know how many years ago, but uh, there was an approach to, to, to this dream or to this thought of, of, or to this vi like visualization of what uh, orchestrated could, could be or could have been or will be maybe in, in 40 years. And you also talked about um, owning a room. You would go to a room and then own in a room. And I was like, wow, it's almost like every time, like it could be, it's from zero. Like every time that like you have no experience in that room, you don't, you don't know like the people there. Like it's all of different variables that you, you, you cannot control. And I wanted to ask you, you know, when you get to a room, you have the choice to, to decide who you talk to or not, who you give your attention to or not. And that is power. I mean, that is, if you say you could own the room, you could own it in any way you want. And that is privilege as well. So I want to understand how do you approach, you know, I'm, of course, I, I could guess given the value system that you have expressed earlier, but what, what is your approach to like that room, uh, that room, because we don't know if it's a room, but like that community when you get in there. So, so two things. Um, I believe most of our psychology goes back and is formed in our high school years. And a lot of it is formed by things that were at that time traumatic or still haunt us. And I actually address a little of this on my interview with my friend, uh, Milton Speed, who is a Jamaican born uh, impact advisor and a close buddy of mine. Um, in high school, I chose to be number two instead of number one to lead an organization. I let an Ethiopian woman friend of mine, um, she ran for president of this great March of Dimes organization. I didn't want it. She was going to be better than I was. And I wanted to run a health conference, which I did. And I chose for a long time to not be in the spotlight because I didn't feel I deserved it. Even though I grew up with a father who would walk out in front of 3,000 people and say hello and teach, not even knowing what he should teach until the moment he got there. His name is Sid Homan. We go Showman, S. Homan, and he lives up to that every day still at a, you know, 82 years old and strong. Um, but the other thing was, I wasn't a jock in high school. I wasn't a theater nerd. I wasn't a music nerd. I wasn't part of any community. I used to flit around at lunch and talk to different groups because I felt I didn't fit into any group. And I had a perception of myself, which was completely the opposite of how other people saw me. I could run a mile in about seven minutes. And I thought I was overweight because I had been sick when I was a few years younger and was overweight. I, but I didn't think I was fast. And then, I, you know, by college, I still felt the same way. And I could run four miles in 28 minutes. But I still thought in my head and the way I saw myself that I was what I was years ago. So all this leads to this idea of, of what owning a room is. And it's not suddenly standing with everyone listening to you while you have a drink and laughing like you see in certain movies, especially Bond movies or other things. Uh, owning a room or owning an environment is being comfortable in it. 
And to be comfortable in it is actually the thing that everyone thinks other people are in their high school years when everyone's uncomfortable. The jock, the cheerleader, the nerd, whatever it is, we grow out of these shells, but they stay with us. And when we reconnect with people from our high school years, we often revert. And so any environment where you were not known or celebrated already, I believe you walk back into a room and have those same insecurities, no matter how smart, successful, or confident you are, at least to some degree. The skill is in being able to be comfortable moving past that and understand that you have value to give and position yourself in a way that by finding out values from others, they will in turn ask you about yours. And what you end up with is then a real conversation, a real new connection. Real conversation is what usually doesn't happen, right? Like I, I, I personally feel sometimes it takes, it takes a while and it's not that I get frustrated. I just find it a missed opportunity when you can get past that facade of I'm putting up a front and I don't want to be real and, and having a real conversation. What are the elements of, of a real conversation uh, for you? Uh, it, it seems like you could really dissect that. Sure. I mean, in the end, a real conversation goes in a way you didn't intend it to where you feel that you added value and gave value. And that's why I always go back to the fishing analogy. At some point, maybe we'll all go fishing together somewhere, and then we'll realize it's really about having the kids eat s'mores and you know things from a fire instead of the fishing, because the few times I did go fishing, I didn't catch anything. And <laughs> my, my parents brought food. Otherwise, it would have been more authentic than we needed to. Um, but in the end, like the simple version is that if you can share something of value or share something personal, like I'll, like my three-year-old woke me up at 3 a.m. this morning. It happens every single time I have an evening event or a late conversation, and tonight I have one at eight o'clock my time. So I'm gonna have a really, really long day. When did your kids wake you up this morning? Uh, 5 a.m. Uh, is when usually the, the, the five-month-old starts moving around. Uh, cool. The other one, uh, he wakes up a little later, uh, yeah. but yeah, around 5 a.m. Right, but the secret skill in that is like, so like that would be like if we were just meeting at a, an event, I'd ask that question, I'd share that, you'd share yours, and I'd go, but doesn't it make it so much easier when you have to catch a morning flight now? You can just function, be up. You got to get to an airport at 4 a.m. Eh, you've been up with children. You can now fly at any point of any day, even by yourself, and the time doesn't matter and 10 years ago, when I didn't have children, I would regret waking up at 3 a.m. to catch a flight to L.A. Now it's just, I'm up, let's go. Yeah, it's very different. It's very, very, very different. Children, children change uh, everything about your, your psyche, I guess. Like, I wake up so much easier. You're right. Like, it's like in, in a snap of a finger. Like, if someone opens the door, if there's a movement in the bed, if there is a bug, if there is, like, anything, like, I would jump like right up, like it's not, it's not even, there, there's not, not a second. Uh, and there's no hesitation either. I think the first time I noticed something like that was when we adopted a little dog. And uh, I remember we, we had no children back then. And, and, and I always play, I always say that, that there was a progression. I had a cactus uh, that survived. Then I had a fish that survived. Then we had a dog that survived. 
and now we have two children. Um, and oh, thank God they are surviving despite of us, not not because of us. <laughs> That's I read. I, I heard that from someone at some point. Uh, but uh, and I even forgot now what I was going to say. What was it, what, what was it, what was I mentioning? Well, no, just in terms of the analogy of like what having children does to change yeah. your mentality and your outlook, and when you connect with anyone else who has children that's something that's a commonality. Like I wouldn't have known you had unless you mentioned it earlier. Um, I mean, I bring mine up in my value system, but that's something that in many conversations now at events, I thought would be a detraction. I have to get back home to my kids. Um, oh. Actually, the reason that I have a new position running this media company is my two friends that I met and then we became friends first before I started to work with them. We were at an event together where I sit on a board um, for, with the Arthur Miller Foundation, and they were headed out as I was, and I said, I need to get back home because somehow for daylight savings time, my children wake up earlier than the time shift, and, and they're like, us too, it's so, I, we don't get it, and like, the, that was just a bonding moment said in passing. Now I have two great friends that I'm so privileged to work with to create amazing media from, and it happened, just happenstance, but because of something related to children. And, and this is like, like those, are, those are the different moments of connection. I think children have done something to me as well around like leadership, which is you really can tell uh, a lot about someone when you see them behaving around children. And it was very interesting that you mentioned one of those three things when you said, you know, one of the things is, would I leave you with my children? Um, because, because leading children is probably one of the most difficult things that you can find. Children don't care about your titles. They don't care about like who you think you are. They that really care about like that very essence, right? Like the real, the real core of it. Uh, is there anything you can tell us about, about like, why are you uh, so bullish on that idea of, you know, would I leave you with my children? Um, so yeah, it, it's very simple. I used to have, right? Like even like our conversation now, like could we grab drinks together if you drank, which I do? Um, of course. If we were stuck in an elevator for four or eight hours, could we get along? Most likely. Even a level deeper, right? Like let's say you are in New York or well, Jersey City where I live and I'm back there and you go, I need your car at 2 a.m. Would I lend you my car? Like, yeah, I'd do that. But there are people that you could describe that of that aren't necessarily in the same A-list as certain people we want in our lives. So in my world, I wanted a way for people to understand that anyone they introduced me to in this world of connectivity needs to fit a value system that they would leave my children with them when I've never met that other person. And if they couldn't vouch for that person in that way, I didn't want to meet them in the context of connectivity. Because you cannot think of anyone not having high integrity that I would leave your children with Eddie. But I have 600 people in my group that I would do that without blinking because they're that type of integrity. So when I put them in powerful situations or they often as powerful people are put in connected situations from my intros, there's a deep level of trust because I understand that their integrity is such that if I literally threw my six-year-old at them and said, watch her for three hours, I have to go. And they handed them to somebody I never met, they would know which person would be that person to help. Very interesting. I'm also I'm also super interested in that conversation about integrity, uh, mostly coming from the perspective of there are human beings 
that make mistakes, right? Including myself, that put that integrity into question, that put uh, you as a leader or as a human being in question. What is your perspective about transformation? And I'm talking about like deep transformation of, of people. Like not everyone has that. Is that something that can be taught? Is integrity something that's just like innate and can be like, I guess, improved over time? How does that work? I, I think 100% integrity of those value systems can be improved or taught. I'll give you a quick example, which is in my community, if you make an intro for somebody else that has value, meaning like somebody joins a board of directors of a nonprofit or they invest in something, anything that's beyond like we had a great conversation, even like placing friends on an interview, like I might have people you should focus on in the future, including some incredible people that I know that don't look like me and I'm gonna send you that list. And like, that's a value to you, but also to them. Um, but if I don't then thank the people who brought me to those people, recognize the chain of who introduced me to introduce me, I actually kick myself out of my own group. Cause I wanted a value system where you don't just thank the person that introduced you, you thank the person that introduced you to them and back and back down the chain. And that's something that I've managed to have taught to a lot of people who wouldn't go back that deep and now understand the strategy. But, but the deeper question is, people with integrity make mistakes. That's a fact. Somebody with integrity is somebody who's going to admit that they have made them and will continue to make them and continue to question whether the choices they're making are the best. The people who think they deserve something, the people who think that they're the best at something, those are the ones, whether they have a value system or integrity, by virtue of feeling one of those two things or not. Because the minute I believe you think that you are better or more superior than somebody else as a human, it immediately debunks your value. Thank you so much for sharing that. I, I, I have to say that I'm very curious. Uh, to listen to your music. I want to, I want to, because I, I definitely have to say it, it has to be a representation. There is no way music from David Homan is not a representation of, you know, that value system that you have. Would you say there is, there is a clear it like, is connection? All, it is all the same. My music has one purpose, which is to take somebody on an inner journey, like the journey I went through and come out feeling more purposeful and having more value because I brought them out of their thoughts and into a new conversation with themselves. And there's different pieces that do this differently. And my goal is to write the right melody for each person, the same way my goal is to make the right type of connections and to lead by example. And so most of my music always goes back to the idea that there's a melody that you're expecting to hear. And then the goal is that I keep changing it until you get to a point where it's the melody you were actually waiting for and didn't know you were waiting for. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna check that out. That is, that is without a doubt uh, something that's going to happen. Uh, David, I wanna be super respectful with your time. I want to thank you for coming on the show, uh, fulfilling work life. Uh, I think definitely there are, and this is a wild guess for me, probably eight or nine pondering thoughts that I have left in my head. And these are, these are gonna be like time thought bombs that at some point in the day or in the coming weeks are going to like explode and then it's going to get me into another like thinking uh, uh i i guess uh spree but but thank you so much because i do think that um 
what, what you have talked about and, and the space that you have given me is so uncommon in these conversations that it's gotten me thinking. It's gotten me out of uh, the, the zone that I'm usually expecting. Uh, and I think definitely what you're talking about, your music is what has happened in here. Uh, time is up and I'm not worried about how much more time do I have left? Did I ask the right questions or not? What snippet I'm, I'm going to be doing? It's a, it's a completely different situation. I'm grateful for that. So, you know, my promise is to you because we didn't get in, into what I normally make as a conversation, even an interview, which is where I could help you. I'm obviously going to share this with all my friends and family and promote this as best I can, especially for your value system and the type of guests you have on this. Um, but I'm also going to send you some people as referrals, which I think are incredible voices that should be heard more than mine. And they're voices in communities that are rising and are heard and will change the face of this world. And none of them look like me, which is the point. Except for one who you'll think looks like me and then you realize his value system's even deeper than me. So it's really, it was a pleasure for us to be able to talk over this. And as expected, you did have a child come in with an iPad issue, but he was fishing for something and he got to see his dad. And he got it. Oh, thank you so much, David. I, I really appreciate it. I would really appreciate uh, having those referrals and being able to interview amazing people that are transforming the world and that are, love what they are doing. That That is the main goal here. Uh, like I said to everyone, like this to me is is the best gift that life has given me, being able to start my day talking to amazing people, amazing people that can transform and also inspire you to do different things. And I have to say, um, you have to come back. <laughs> you will have to come back. Uh, we will dig much deeper into your music, into your work, into your uh, community, into what you're doing. And I think next time we should find, you know, one specific topic. And I think, I think we could dig so much deeper into certain things uh, that I'm, I'm super excited about that opportunity. Absolutely. And my promise is both to do that and dig deep enough into you for your fans to find out something new about you. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Right. Uh, uh, I want to thank everyone who has joined us uh, live. I know that because of the mistake I made, some, some people could not get in, into the show today. Uh, but Ramon, thank you so much for being there. And as well as I think it's Hernan from Funza. Uh, Colombia, I think I remember that uh, by memory, but everyone else who joined us over Facebook, thank you so much if you're listening to this on uh, either LinkedIn, uh, Instagram Live, or the podcast, thank you so much for taking the time, it, we're also super grateful to, to have you take an hour of your day to listen to us, and David of course, thank you so much Great, thank you to everyone, thank you so much Eddie Goodbye, have a great day everyone Thank you for listening and remember to share, like, and comment if this content brought value to your life. You can find us on social media as We Are Torre. Explore more content at blog.torre.co. See you around.